morning, Rock Harbor. Good to see you this morning. I'm going to get started here on page 56 in your study guide. We've been talking about the temple in the last couple weeks, the sections of the temple, and, and the, uh, of course, the type and shadow and, and the, the things that those, those uh, items meant that were in there, and the, this morning's lesson is not any different. Um, I hope that you've learned something from this. There's a lot of information to glean from this, um, and I, as always, I always encourage you to, to study it yourself out of Exodus to really get into what those things mean and uh, once you get into that and you realize the meaning it's like uh, man the connection is just obvious and it's so easy to see the the message that God was trying to send his his people uh, before Jesus ever came which is to me is is fantastic because there was always a plan there was always a plan of redemption for you and I uh, and as we've said in the past say it again that's what we're living in we're living under that right now. We're, we're enjoying that. Um, said it last week. Uh, if you, if for some reason in the service you come to a place where you need, you have a realization of conviction um, and of the need of forgiveness. That's what's great about the covenant is that we can come to the throne and we can ask for forgiveness and we can receive that. But everything that happened in the temple and the things that were set up were all pointing to now the present, and so. There's a lot of symbolism in this, and I want to continue on uh, in page 56 of your study guides. Under the central truth, it says, we have access to God through the blood of Christ. Um, under let's get started, it says, the innermost room of the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, which housed the very presence of God. No one was allowed to enter that place at any time other than the Day of Atonement. Once a year, they were actually allowed to enter the room. Once a year. You think about being told that. It's like having that, that room that's off limits. Well, this was off limits, but it was off limits in a different way. It was off limits in the fact that it was holy and that the only time that you could access this room or the only reason it was used was for the atonement of the people. And so you talk about job-specific and, and only being allowed to access this place once a year. So this is a sacred place. And we talk about sacred places and we talk about um, holy places. It doesn't get any holier than this. So there's the, you understand that there's, last week we were talking about the holy place. This is the holy of holies. It's, it's, another, it's another step inward. It's the centerpiece of the entirety of the temple. And so this is... Um, this is a, um, a good thing to recognize because, once again, we get back to symbolism. It's like, okay, we talked about it a little bit last week. It's like, all right, so God is not, he's not in the sacrifices anymore. It's, there's no more symbolism there. He lives within the temple now, which is mm -hmm. our temple, which is within my heart. So there's this holy of holies, this inter, inner place. So it's kind of like when, when you say, God spoke to me. Where did he speak to you at? He spoke to you right here. He spoke to you in your heart. Where did he deal with you at? You said, I felt like God dealt with me, or I felt moved within myself to do something, or I felt moved to come to the altar and pray, or whatever that, whatever it is that you felt moved to do. Where did that come from? That come from the holy place. 
the Holy of Holies, the very inner part of you, which houses that seal of the Holy Spirit. And so when he speaks, that's the area that he does it in. Now, God will shoot you an idea. I've been shot a lot of ideas in my time. God shot me some good ideas, come through my mind. But when I hear him speak, it's right here. So it's just something inside me. It's like, I know that was him. The more you listen to him, the more you get familiar with his voice. It's like, I know that voice. Anyone ever said that before? Oh, yeah. It's like, I know that voice. And uh, if you spend time away from him, it's not that you don't hear the voice, because you do. I've been in that place before. It's like, it's not that I don't know his voice. It's that I become unfamiliar with listening to it. It's, it's grown dim. I still hear him. I've just got accustomed to rejecting it. That's a tough place to be, and that's a place that, that we have to kind of call ourselves out on. But been really been hammering that the last couple of weeks of calling yourself out and reevaluating. Calling yourself out when we know that we haven't been praying properly or we know that we've been hearing God tell us to do something specific, maybe to keep our hands away from something or to stop engaging in something. And there was a time in our life that maybe we listened, but we're not listening anymore. But what I think is so interesting about that is that I can still hear that voice. Amen. I still hear him. He's still like, hey, stop doing that. Hey, get your hands off that. And I, I just, it's taken me some years to understand that. To understand that oh, his voices, he's still speaking. I just stopped listening somewhere in there. And so what do we got to do? We got to get back to the place where we're listening. It's kind of like your parent. It's kind of like your parents that come up to you and they're like, are you listening to me? You know? It's kind of like, do you hear me? Well, if the kid hasn't been listening for quite some time, it may need a little bit of training to get back listening right again. What does God do to us? Sometimes what he does is he just lets you kind of take your own path. You fall. You get away from him. And then you're like, what was that you had to say? <laughs> what were you saying about that? How, how do I get out of this? We're ready to listen now, ain't we? That's a lot of times how God works, and I'm thankful for that stuff because what, where, where would we be without those lousy moments? We need them, and we need to evaluate and recognize that those are actually really good for us. Okay, um, no one was uh, allowed to enter that place at any time other than the Day of Atonement. Even then, the high priest had to make great personal preparations. As you study this lesson, think about what it must have been, <clears throat> what he must have been thinking as he donned the holy garments, took the fire from the altar of burnt offerings, and entered to make atonement for his own sins and the sins of the people. Even so, the sacrifice he brought was insufficient. Well, it talked right there. Um, it said uh, to think about the, uh, the holy garments. I want to read something to you real quick because the garments actually meant something. You see, the priests, when they went in for this day of atonement, they were typically wearing pretty fancy clothing it, it was pretty nice stuff and that was what god had told them to wear to they were recognized as priests and the things that they wore on them in their apparel meant something but on the day of atonement they switched from something that had symbolism to one linen garment and i think that's very interesting because they stripped down all the the holy emblems and all the significance and they traded them out for linen clothing, which was a very, very basic thing. 
And so it was basically saying, see, you're my acting ambassador while you are here ministering to the people. But when you come before me, you are nothing. <laughs> that's, that's the symbol. So I want to kind of read it to you. And this was um, uh, Jewish sages believed that the, the, and they wore a total interchanging of eight garments. The high priest wore throughout um, the atonement process provided a complete picture of atonement for humankind. Uh, and so for example, the, the, they had a tunic, covered the priest's uh, body, which atoned for killing. Uh, the pants atoned for sexual transgression. The turban uh, a head or head plate worn on the head atoned for haughtiness. Belt atoned for the sins of the heart. Breastplate atoned for the errors in judgment. Ephod atoned for idolatry. Robe atoned for evil speech. Crown atoned for arrogance. And so there's a bit of research that goes into the the... The, the garments and the things that they had worn and what those things meant. But I thought it was so telling uh, that they had to strip all these things away and they become very, very basic when they came into the Holy of Holies. Now remember, now we'll cover this here in a minute, but remember, the first thing they had to do was atone for their own sins. Remember, remember we were talking about that in the weeks past. They'd done theirs first, then they did the people's. And if theirs wasn't correct, then before they could atone for the people's, they had to pull them out because they had already died. They weren't clean. They weren't right. They had, they, something went wrong in the process. Uh, you, <laughs> you could not be lazy in the way that you atoned for your own sins. And, and what I mean by that is, you think, well, does it, did it have to do with laziness? Yeah, it did. If they would try to cut corners, um, if they tried to um, cut ways to make it a little quicker, then this was unacceptable. God would not go for this. And so when the priest would enter in, he would recognize that the process that he had put before him wasn't complete. So if the process wasn't complete, the penalty was death. Think. I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of mistakes that you and I make, you know. Sure. <clears throat> you pop a tire on your vehicle because you drove too fast or you drove in the wrong area or uh, you got behind a semi and it cracks your windshield or... Uh, you're, you're, you do things physically you're not supposed to do, ends up with a break, broken leg. There's a lot of penalties. But the penalty of death? There was, there was no... I mean, you know this going in. They knew this. It's like, we're going into the Holy of Holies. Okay, what's the process? And they looked back. Okay, here's the process. This is what we're supposed to do. Actually started with bathing. Like physically, like they had to take a bath. And... So there's this symbolism of the bath and the symbolism of the new garb and the things that they were wearing. And then once they'd done the atonement for theirs, then they could do the proper atonement. And I think the penalty is death. Well, we're not actually standing under that anymore. But the penalty of sin is still death. Think about that. The penalty of sin is still death. Jesus is the only way out of that. He's the only way that gives us the escape from that. There is no other way. I don't want to get too deep into that because I think I'm going to say that again at some point. But that was very important. Okay, so it said even so, the sacrifice he brought was insufficient. Why? Why was it insufficient? I don't want to spend too much time on this, guys, but I want to get this right. Why was that insufficient? Because of the battle that he's doing under his own power. Right. Okay, so, so it comes down to the sacrificial system because... Christ was a once and for all sacrifice. Do we agree with that? Yes, sir. Okay. He was a perfect sacrifice. 
All the other sacrifices with bulls and goats were imperfect sacrifices. There was no way to have a one and all sacrifice. So these were imperfect sacrifices. So the best you could do was atonement. That was it. You could not get any better than that. And it didn't necessarily have to do with the priest as much as it did the sacrifice itself. It just wasn't good enough. That's why he sent his son to die. A perfect sacrifice. Sinless. It makes sense, right? So you had a, a priest who didn't really have the... He could only, his sins could only be atoned for. And a sacrifice of an animal that wasn't perfect. So you had these two imperfections. And so what's that going to equal? Yeah, you can't have it. There's no way you can get perfection out of that. So ultimately, that's why he sent his son. It had to do with an imperfect sacrificial system. So you and I live now under the new covenant, which is based on a perfect sacrificial system, which is Jesus Christ. And, and I have said this a couple weeks back. I don't know if we fully understand that. I think sometimes we take it for granted because we were born into it, and we don't realize how rich and wealthy we really are. Uh, we don't realize how spoiled that we are. Um, we're living lives that these people would could only have dreamed about. I mean, they looked forward to that day, but, I mean, look at what we're doing. Look at what we're enjoying because of what Christ did on the cross. Amen. Everything being made available to you and I. Okay. Um, the most holy place in the tabernacle was where atonement was made for the sins of the people. The high priest who entered there had to make atonement for his own sins first. Then he was able to offer the sacrifices to make atonement for the sins of others. Now, under the new covenant, we have a high priest who had no sin of his own. So his sacrifice is sufficient to atone for our sins. He became both the high priest and the perfect sacrifice. Our most holy place can be wherever we meet with him. Absolutely. Amen. All right. Let's read our scriptures. It's 57. Lake, go ahead, buddy. Exodus 25.1. Place inside the ark the stone tablet inscribed with the terms of the covenant which I will give to you then put the atonement cover on top of the ark I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim, cherubim? cherubim yeah. the hover over the ark of the covenant from there I will give you my commandments for the people of Israel Exodus 26 33 hang the inner curtain from clasp and put the ark of the covenant in the room behind it this curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Matthew 27, 2. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At the moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart. Hebrews 10, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Leviticus 16.30 On that day, offerings of purification will be made for you, and you will be purified in the Lord's presence from all your sins. And purified the most holy place, the tabernacle, the altar, the priest, and the entire congregation. This is a permanent law for you to purify the people of Israel from their sins, making them right with the Lord once each year. Moses followed all these instructions exactly as the Lord had commanded. Hebrews 9.24 For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, 
which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. So also Christ once offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Thank you, brother. Part 1, Place to Meet God. The most holy place, holy of holies, separated from the holy place by a thick curtain or veil, was 15 foot by 15 foot. The Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies. Made from acacia wood, covered with gold, it was 45 inches long, 27 inches high, and 27 inches wide. It had four gold rings for the poles used to carry it. These poles were not to be removed from the Ark. The Ark was the only original piece of furniture or tabernacle furniture moved to the temple centuries later. God gave instructions for the Ark's construction before any other item. He told Moses to place the testimony or the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant inside the ark. You start to see the symbolism here. So we got the, the commandments of the Lord in, installed in the ark of the covenant, which is the abode of his presence, which is his word is inseparable from him. Amen. Does that make sense? You see the symbolism? His word is inseparable from him. We were talking about a touch of this last week. Then Pastor was talking about, uh, on Wednesday, he was talking about morality. And I made the comment, and I still, it's, it's something that is, to me as a person, it's just, it's deep within me. You cannot have morality without the one who created the morality. Right. And, and I know that's, I'm not telling you something you haven't already heard me say in the past. I'm saying that because that is the struggle that we are dealing with today. And, and from, from what I can, I've studied and with the way I look at this in God's word is that, He's telling us, you don't get truth without me. Not, not real truth. You don't get real truth without me. You don't get revelation without me. You don't get morality without me. You can't have these things and then kick me out and tell me you don't want a relationship with me or we don't want God in our society. Or we don't want God in the, involved in our schools. We don't want God in all these things, but we want all of your good blessings. We want all the good things that your promises would yield us and give us. And God is saying today, you can't do that. You cannot have that. If you want the goods, you got to take me with it. And that's, the, that's really the depravity of man, really, because they thought they got so smart from a, from a governmental standpoint and an infrastructural standpoint that they got to thinking, you know what, let's just take God out of the <clears throat> equation and let's take these things that seem to work when we do them. It seems to work when we operate within democracy. That seems to work pretty well. Well, if it's operating within the context of the God who allowed it, yeah. it works. Um, to have um, freedom, freedom of speech, right? We have a lot of rights that we exercise. And you notice today... That all of a sudden, somewhere, and I would say it really got crazy in the last five years. Somewhere in there, all of a sudden, people start redefining what freedom of speech means. Freedom of this and freedom of that. Why are now, all of a sudden, we have this massive high tolerance level of all these people's opinions? What happened? It's because we kicked the God out that created all these freedoms. 
And we'll see when that happens, it leads to you. It's inevitable. You cannot get away from it. Your society begins to decay. You can't get away from it because God is not holding it up anymore. If you don't believe that, if you think that's something that you can, you can argue, then let's just go back and look at the Puritans and look at what they established. Let's look at the monuments that they set up to basically speak towards what they were standing for and what they wanted all the people that after them would, would stand for, which was God. Is it, do some people say, well, you know what, it's, our country wasn't founded on, on those things. You just haven't done the right homework. It was founded on those things. And God blessed us as a country. He gave to us. Um, I made a statement last week, and I'll make the same statement again, just for the sake of this lesson. That do you think it's by chance? Do you think it's uh, an accident that America ended up being the most powerful nation that has ever existed on the face of the planet? So was that an accident? Because you don't accidentally end up there. I assure you, it wasn't because we had a lot of smart people. Or we had a great government that led us into that era. No, God opened the door and said, I'm going to give it to you because you've chosen to love me. I'm going to give it to you. And remember, everything is type and shadow. If you wonder where that came from, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but if you wonder where those kind of blessings come from, Simply go back and look at God's people and look at the Israelites and look what he promised them. What was the original promise? A land of milk and honey. There's something about God's promise that, to me that is so amazing is that God's promises don't disappear. He just transfers them. He's like, if you ain't going to follow me, I'll give it to someone else. If you're not going to take all the blessings I wanted to give you in your land, I'll give it to someone else who will follow me in their land. Well, guess who stepped up to the plate? Some poor people that just wanted to serve the Lord and come across, spent a winter, nearly every one of them died, and they still managed to get them. They made a covenant with God, and they said, we'll serve you no matter what. We want to serve you. And this is, it left us to, it really left us this, and this is why we're sitting here today. So, yeah, and I'm just condensing, like, I'm really condensing the story. <laughs> like, like, really condensing this. But I want you to understand that that we're, we're existing in God's blessings, but I'm starting to see that wane because the thing, the, the original pack, the original reason why we were as powerful as we are and why we are as prosperous as we were is that we, we followed the Lord, and now it's not happening that way anymore. Well, there's only one thing that's going to happen. I mean, if you get away from God and you make a decision, like, you know what, I'm not going to follow you anymore, his hand has to move. He's forced to move his hand. There's no other option for him to do. And so that leaves us uh, in the struggle that our country's in today, trying to figure out the difference between right and wrong. <clears throat> trying to find out the difference between a man and a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Things that should not be hot topics. We've got way bigger fish to fry, so to speak, if I can use that term loosely. we got way bigger fish to fry than trying to decide whether a man should be able to have a child or not. I mean, that's ridiculous on a high, on the highest level. So, anyway. Um, okay. Uh, Inside the ark, these, 
yeah, it was, um, it had four, I, second paragraph. God gave instructions for the ark's instruction before any other item. I already read all that. Um, these would remind the people of God's laws and their sinfulness, about midway through that paragraph. On the lid of the ark, known as the mercy seat, atonement cover, were two cherubim facing each other. With wings covering the mercy seat, God's mercy is our only hope for fellowship with God. Absolutely. There is no other thing. God created uh, humanity for fellowship with him. Now, that's, that's something you should, we should just talk about for just a minute. Just think about that. God created humanity for fellowship with him. Well, I thought we just ended up here by accident. Or I thought this was all about me and what I wanted in my relationship with God and what God could give me. This is why I don't like this is why I have a problem with our culture. This or something. Now, I've got things that I do like about our culture, and there's a lot of things I don't like. And this is one of the things I dislike about our culture is that we have completely forgotten the basis of why we're even here. Like the, like the fundamental basis. It's like, what are you even doing here? Well, so I can grow up and, and have a family, and, and, and maybe, maybe I can get rich in the process. Of course you're going to say that because you live in America. No one else says that, I can promise you. No one else in any other country is really on that because they don't have the same opportunity. And so there's this thing called humanity, and the man himself, go back to Adam and Eve, what were they created for? Fellowship with God in the garden. That got messed up. And the whole story, if you look at it, I mean all the way back from Adam and Eve, and just keep moving through history. Go to the cross. Look at what he did. All of it has always had to do with fellowship with God. Your purpose here on this earth is to serve God. That's what you were created for. And at, the, at its very basis form, that's where everything else branches off of. But you got to ask yourself the question, if I forget that, if I forget what I'm actually here for, then how does anything else stand? How, how, do, you ha how do you live a proper life if you've forgotten what you were even put here for? Because to me, that's where everything has gotten confusing for people, is they forgot what they were even here to do. We're not here for ourselves. And, and obviously, we're not here for a really long time. I mean, what, 80, 90 years? We want to we wanna try to live out the best life that we can. But once it, it's, that's the thing that bothers me, church. It all has to end. Then what? Like, I'm not going to be here forever. Then what? Well, who I serve. Who I serve is going to make the difference when this thing is over. Amen. It's going to matter. It really is. Amen. It should bother you. It, should, it really should make you think. So he said, when he entered the tabernacle, the priest represented the people. Absolutely. We just talked about that. But sin kept them from enjoying God's presence. When Jesus died on the cross, the heavy curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. All right, so we all know that part of the story. And it mentioned that in Scripture. We just read that. So the veil was torn. That was the separation from the holy of holies in the holy place. See, people, there could be dwelling in the holy place, but there could be no dwelling in the holy of holies. So when the veil was torn, that was symbolic that God is now with man. It's like, now we're, now we're together again. Now I can have fellowship with you. And of course, we know that that ultimately came by the coming of the Holy Spirit, which allowed us uh, access uh, to his presence and be able to feel his presence individually. Okay, so uh, access to God was now available to all. The writer of Hebrews discussed the holy place containing the lampstand and the table of showbread. 
the most holy place containing the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense. Including the altar of incense in the most holy place seems to contradict other accounts. However, the writer may have been depicting its nearness to the ministry performed within the veil. Verse 4 further adds the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod to the contents of the ark. The priest regularly ministered in the holy place, but only once a year on the Day of Atonement could the high priest enter the most holy place. But the sacrifices he offered were not sufficient to do away with sin. Only Jesus could provide that sacrifice, but he did not need to do it year after year. His one, his one sacrifice provided complete forgiveness for sin. Okay, so so what does that leave, though? All right, so we, we recognize the story of Jesus. All right, so what's that was his part. Okay, what's my part? That's the question. He did what he did. Now, what's my part? And I've heard a lot of different people's take on this, and I, I'll be honest with you. I think sometimes people complicate it. It's simply this. It's to accept the work that's already been done. It's acceptance of the work that has already been done. And that what he did is the only way to complete forgiveness and to come before the throne of God. That's it. There is no other way. Christ is it. But I've said this before. That demands a response from us. It's like, okay, he did what he did. So, all right, thank you. I'm going to go live my life now. I'm going to see if I can make it rich. I'm going to see if I can make it good. No, no, hold on. That demands a response from me as an individual. Not just certain people. You think, well, that's just for church people. That's just for church people. That's the problem with our, our, our culture and our nation is that we've, we've drawn this segregation. It's like the people that show up at the churches, that's just for, that's for those church folk. That's just for them. God sent his son to die for everyone. Everyone. And so it's a matter of accepting a finished work that's already been done. I don't have to do anything anymore. It's not necessarily about how often I show up at this place, though that is good and we need to be at church, but that is not a requirement to get me into heaven. The only thing that gets you to heaven is him. That's the only way through. And so while I see there are many surrounding factors around the life of a Christian or Christianity that are very important and should be regarded as important in your world, but the only way that you need to understand and recognize, which brings to me brings a perspective of respect, is what Christ did. It's what Christ did. Because, see, listen, if you get too far into it and you start depicting things and you start thinking, well, I have to do this. And I have to do that. Well, then you're starting to turn it into works. It's like, well, if I do enough good, if I feed enough poor people, if I show up at church enough times, when Christ returns, maybe he lets me in. No, it doesn't work that way. Have you accepted the atoning work of Christ and have you repented of your sin? That's the question. That's the real question. And that is the difference now. That is what makes a Christian a Christian today, is that do you accept the transforming work of Christ? Because I will say it over and over and over again. Anybody that says that they have been transformed or been saved, if they say, I've been saved, then you will begin a transforming process. You will not be the same person anymore. Today, for some reason, people want to <coughs> mention Jesus' name and they want Christ, but there's no transforming work anymore. 
Like, why is that? Because they don't have a full understanding of who he is and the price that was paid in that if you fully accept Christ and you repent of your sin, something is going to happen to you. Something is going to move within you. And that's the way I want to define it this morning because I think it happens different for everyone a little bit. There's something inside of you that stirs. You can feel it's like this pull. It's like, ah, I can feel something pulling me. That's the spirit of the Lord. And he's like, all right, time for change. But because people don't like change. They want God, remember. Oh, we want you, but we don't want to change. That's a problem. Because you're not, you should not even expect to get on this ride and not have to change. You're going to have to change. You will not be the same person. There will be things you will have to quit. There will be things you have to throw away. There will be things you have to put down. There will be things that you will do differently if you are really following him. Uh, I, I often look at it, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I often look at it like now that instead of God leading us and leading people, which is the way it's supposed to be, right? God leads his people, correct? That people are trying to lead God. It's like, hey, I got this thing that I want. Would you come here and bless it for me? Hey, I need protection today. Would you come here and protect me? And never serve him. Never be in service to him. I just need you for your benefits. I just need you because you have all these things that people are saying are blessings, and I need access to those things. Could you give me those things and me not have to change? No, it doesn't work that way. You have to change. And we see it in society nowadays. It's this mindset that it's like, hey, I'm going to set these big goals, you know, for my personal life and what I want to be and what I want to do. And next thing you know, you got 20, 30 years down the road, and you're like, okay, now I'm going to start thinking about having kids. Oh, wait, it's too late. Well, I never got that job that I wanted because I spent 10 years in college and found out the job wasn't there, and they just, it's this relentless <laughs> pursuit of worldly things. And it's like, hey, God, just, just bless me while I do this, and it's so backwards. Like, take a step back and downsize and find out what he wants for you. Really, and it's, it's a part of a system. It's a system. Now, we've got some collegiate students back here, my daughter included. There's nothing wrong with going to college. Nothing wrong. But that, so y'all don't think I'm singling y'all out. The, the idea is, is that we're caught in this, this system that is like step one, step two, step three, step four. Step one, step two, step three, step four. And I've asked myself, I've, I've been caught in that system myself with raising kids. And it's like, all right, so at what point do you actually sell out? You gotta ask yourself, okay, what point do I sell out? Well, I'll do it when I'll do it when my kids are a little older. I'll show up at church a little more often. Well, I'll I'll do it when they okay, well they're getting older now. Well, maybe when they move out, I'll I'll sell out and I'll start going to church. And I'll I'll start serving God. And then time moves on and then you're 60, then you're 70. And then guess what? Running out of time. Time goes by quick. It goes by quick. And so God is, God is not asking us to, to quit, but he's asking us to put him first. He's saying, put me first. See where I lead you. And that's, that's it's, it's kind of scary. Let's be honest. It's scary when you say, God, lead me and take me where you want me to go. Man, I don't know how many times I have been, I've had to, 
let go of my own plan and give it to God and say, lead me. Take me where you want me to go. Man, that's hard. And I thought, man, I go to church. I'm going to church three times a week. I'm praying. And all of a sudden, something happened. Something, something that I held on to. I don't remember what it was exactly, but I held on to I got a grip on it somewhere, and I didn't want to let it go. And it's and then God is just, just dealing with my heart. He's like, let it go. Get rid of it. And I'm like, oh. And I realized that the grip is my own plan. It's my own idea. And I'm like, please don't interfere. Please don't interfere with my plan. I got a good plan here. I want, I, want, I want to try to see this thing through. And God's like, no, that's not the way this works. Now, we, we, could, we could relate that to idolatry and, and just being connected to something that we put higher than him. But God is asking us to put him at, at the forefront, and that means being led by him, not us leading him. So, Every one of us got a different track to, to race on. Yeah. Ultimately, it all should end with begin and end with that with Christ and we all have different obstacles you're not what works for you is not going to work for me <laughs> what works for me is not going to work for Jim yeah but ultimately the same answer is yeah. Christ yeah. and we we all we're going to make different mistakes sure we're going to be on different planes and right different different fields of play mm-hmm football, baseball, whatever you want, if yeah. you want to call it a game, it's not. If right. Yeah, I get the, so, yeah. You know, I get the analogy. We're, we're all all different, but ultimately it should lead to the cross. Always. Absolutely. That's same very playbook. good. Same playbook. Same, same, same playbook. Different game. Very good. Good. That's excellent. Okay. Finishing up this section. Every person except those who are taken in the rapture will face death following by, followed by judgment. Jesus died once to take away the sins of many people. When he comes again, he will bring ultimate deliverance. Because Jesus, our great high priest, also became the sacrifice and offered his own blood as the atonement for our sins, we can enter the very throne room of God. Amen. Your prayers, your prayers, when you pray, let's think of it this way. Let me try to create uh, an image here. It's kind of like if you ever walked in an office before. Try to see if I can say this correctly. You ever walk in an office before and you want to talk to the boss? I want to talk to the boss. Show me where the boss is at. But there's this door, and there's a desk there, and there's somebody manning that desk, and they're like, no, you can't talk to him. What's the message? And I'll give it to him. And it's like, that's not what I wanted. I want to talk to the boss. With, with this relationship that we have with God now and with what Christ did, the door to the boss's room is completely open. Now, Jesus is still there at the door, but what he says now is, no, you can't enter. He's saying, come on in. But he's the only way you get to that throne. He's the only way. If, if you don't accept him, then you don't get to the throne. I think that's important to say because now we're getting all these, we got a lot of different people saying a lot of different things about saying, well, God, it's okay for me to do this and it's okay, God says I can do this. And it's like, hold on a second now. Because if his word says that you can't, if it says that this is sin, but you say God is doing it, then you must know you are, you are not connected to the God that I'm connected with. Amen. You're not. So, and this is, uh, it's like I heard somebody say one time, they said, um, God and Allah are the same person. No. Oh, l- look, God has a son and his name is Jesus. If anyone ever asks you that, you ask him that. Say, does Allah have a son named Jesus? Well, no. Okay. You don't know the God that I know then. That's not the God of heaven and earth. That's not the God of Abraham and Isaac. That's not the real 
true God. Amen. Let me have your hand up. I'm sorry. God don't hear you if Jesus isn't interceding for you. Absolutely. He's the interceder. You don't hear it. Your voice is not heard right. without Jesus. And that's a hard thing, man. But that's a real that's a real quote he's saying right there. That's a real fact. It's like, unless you come through Christ, he ain't hearing that voice. It's got to come through Christ. And that demands repentance. That demands we that demands we step away from our sin. Okay, that's good. All right, let's go to section two. I got time. I got time. We're gonna make it. The placement of the Ark of the Covenant within the most holy place spoke of the separation between God and humanity. While the mercy seat spoke of access to God, that, that access was limited. God instructed Moses to make a veil or curtain from finely woven linen and colored yarn to separate the holy place from the most holy place. That is the veil that was torn with uh, the death of Christ. Every part of the tabernacle was made from the finest materials to the highest standards. God does not want our second best. He wants to be first in our hearts. All right, well, that yields a question. What does second best lead to? Why not? What? Why not? Why not give God second? Okay. What else? Can't worship two masters or whatever's first. That's good. That's a good one. That's good. You can't worship two masters. Come on, someone else weigh in. Why can't? Why? Why will second not work? God wants us to be first, or him to be first in our lives, and we're not. If he's not in our lives, then he's not first. I mean, violates first commandment. <laughs> violates first commandment. <laughs> well, he spent thousands of years game planning to send his son to get him in the earth, so he could go back to fellowship with you. Would you say that he put you first? It's like the most, you are the most important thing to him. Out of everything that was created, galaxies and planets and all these things that we hold in a fairly high regard, the only thing that matters to him is you. And he proved it by sending his son. He didn't have to do that. He did not have to do that. Now, would we have still been living in Old Testament times? Yeah, it would have been still been a rough stretch. Man. We've been living in tough times. He could have said, look, this is the way it's going to be. I'm not going to change it. I'm sure not sending my son to die for you. Forget that. Y'all just going to you just stay where you're at. You're unholy. There's no way you're ever going to get to, to that place. Just live there and deal with it. He could have said that, but he didn't. He said, no, no, I'm going to bring you back into my presence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever it takes. I'm going to pull out all the stops, and I'm going to make sure that I'm going to get you access back to my throne so we can we can fellowship together you are most important to him but is he most important to us that's a good question god gave moses a warning for his brother aaron that if he entered the most holy place at any time other than that appointed day he would die <laughs> i said that earlier i was like whoa what a warning you're playing you say you you heard the saying like you're playing with fire that's a little bit more than fire. It's like, you really better not mess this thing up. On that day, he had to follow instructions God gave Moses, which included bringing a sin offering and a burnt offering for himself and his family. He was to wear the sacred garments, but first he was to bathe himself. Yet such careful actions could never cleanse the heart. This was just the process. Like I said, we talked about this. It was type and shadow. 
of the cleansing power of Jesus and the ability to be completely forgiven for sins, not just atoned. So the death of Christ provided access to God for all believers. We can come boldly into his presence. All right, so I want to define that real quick because a lot of people get this twisted. It says we can come boldly, not pridefully, not arrogantly, okay? And recognize when you come before him that you're coming before a king. Amen. Not just a king, but the king. Now, that's important to understand because I hear this quoted. Well, the scripture says we can come boldly to the throne. But see, I don't really understand that because the way that you, the, the things that come out of your mouth and the things that you say and the way that you act and you carry yourself, you've denied the transforming power of Christ. But you still think you can come boldly before the throne? It's almost, it's flat distasteful and disrespectful to come before a king with arrogance and pride. So he said we could come before his throne boldly. I come before his throne before his throne boldly, but it's almost like I feel at times I'm like, I'm gonna come easy into this thing. He's a king. He's a king. Right? One of the things that I think about, is if you want to put it in perspective, you know, we talk about the old testament, we think about the things that God used to do in judgment. So, you know, Pastor and I have talked about this before, and he was talking about it last week, the ground, like opening up and swallowing up people. That, that's that's the king. And there's this power to do either or. And so I respect and reverence that power and authority. The He's the one that decides whether you go to heaven or hell. I reverence that authority. That that bothers me to think that I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come before your throne and and speak loosely or or inadequately or come to you haphazardly arrogantly or pridefully and expect you to give me some things hey, give me some things out i need some things today you're coming before the king i think we need to get reacquainted with that i know i'm not listen i know we're not under old testament times anymore i get that but the way people treat god nowadays is ridiculous and so there, there there's has to be a reverence for the spirit of the lord in recognizing what we've been ex given access to the Bible says that when Jesus makes his return, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. Amen. Why would it say that? Why would it say that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess? Because there's a king present. Now, to me, that scripture alone brings complete perspective. It's like, oh, hey, we know you. Hey. No, no. The Bible says every knee bows, every tongue confesses. That's reverence. Or a king Amen. and I still believe that he should be treated that way Absolutely. he should be treated with respect okay we need not bring sacrifices for our sins because Jesus is that sacrifice we need not clean uh, ourselves up all right let me, <laughs> let me clarify some of these things because they're kind of tripping hazards for for me when I say this you're right you can't clean yourself up but you should be transformed Amen. you can't clean yourself up you're right you cannot clean yourself up but you should be transformed by the transforming power of Jesus Christ. All right? That means that after you come to him, then there comes this transformation process. You start getting transformed. You start changing. And you are not the same person that you were before. If there's no transformation process, you need to retrace your steps. You may not have truly repented. Instead, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the uh, curtain into the most holy place. God requires that we must come into his presence with sincere hearts, 
fully trusting him. He provides the cleansing. God has not set aside his holiness. No, he hasn't. <laughs> I'll agree with that statement. He's not set it aside. He still detests sin and will bring judgment on the sinner. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can approach God with confidence knowing our sins have been forgiven. Well, I guess the real question, though, is in this day and time that we're living in is that, that we understand that when you come before him, we're coming before him with a constant heart that wants to stay away and stay out of sin. I cannot say that enough that that is the pivot foot that is the make or break you. It's like it's almost like now people are wanting to come before the throne, but they still want to carry their sins with them. You can't do that. That's disrespecting what Jesus did on the cross. Right. It completely devalues what he's done. And so we have to, we have to come back to the, the original formula, which is the repentance of sin, and the only way is Jesus. And, and if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come before the throne of God, and, and what it said here was, okay, it says, but because Jesus sacrificed, we can approach God with confidence. But forgiveness begs the action. Okay, I've been forgiven of my sins. Now what? Well, you're not going to say the same, right? We can't keep doing the same thing. So I've been forgiven. Now what do I do? I do something opposite. I do the opposite of what I was doing before. Now I've been forgiven. Now I need to act like it. Does that make sense? I've been forgiven. Now I need to act like it and carry myself as somebody that has been forgiven of their sins, not somebody who's trying to drag them around in a bag and access them at their convenience. So, all right. We're getting to the end. God requires, I'm going to go ahead, let's, let's start. Um, God requires that we uh, come into his presence with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. God has not set aside his holiness. He still tests sin, bring judgment on sin. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can approach God with confidence, knowing our sins have been forgiven. The Old Testament sacrifices could not provide forgiveness, nor did they allow everyone access into God's presence. Christ's sacrifice provided forgiveness for our sins and unlimited access to God. Our access to God gives us hope for the future because God can be, can be trusted completely. We can cling to that hope when the world around us seems to crumble. While we can worship God alone, corporate worship is also necessary. Okay, well, I shouldn't have to explain this, but I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and dive off in it just for the sake of the service. We've got about four minutes left. Okay, corporate worship. It says that, that while we can worship God alone, yes, you can. Yes, absolutely. You can worship God alone. I don't want to, if I create this, this idea that this is the only place, then I've once again told you and created the Old Testament back to you again that there's this one place that you can worship. No, you can worship anywhere you want. You worship in your car. You can worship in your, your, uh, at your house. Wherever you can worship and, and gain access to God. But the meaning of the tabernacle or the place where people meet has now changed. The, 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 you would look at what we do here more like what they'd done in the synagogues back then where there was a uh, teaching on the Sabbath days and that they would have there were multiple people that taught and that they would bring their families and everybody had to go they had to go because they needed to be taught and they wanted their children to learn they wanted them to hear the laws of the Lord to know that hey when you get older don't you turn away from the law because it will get us all killed would you say it was important? It was important. It meant something. So we come into church not just to say you came to church. We come here to learn. Amen. 
We come here to be with other believers that are doing and going through the same things that we are doing and going through. We've got to get back to the place where that's actually a thing. It's, there's so much individualism today. And I fight against the temptation too. I don't think I'm any different than anyone else in here. And I think if everybody's honest, everybody fights against that temptation to be individualized. And what I mean by that is, is that uh, almost like a, like a drifter, like a vagabond. You know, you're just drifting through life. No, I don't need no help. No, I don't need no one to assist me. I can do it all on my own. That's dangerous. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You definitely find yourself alone. And if you're trying to hold on to your faith, you can definitely have, going to have struggle holding on to your faith singled out individually alone because it was never created to be experienced alone it was created to be experienced together i mean it's already we're already i mean if you're just coming on sunday mornings alone which is fine but if, i mean if sunday morning for two hours maybe an hour and that's the only time that we spend together i mean you don't really know who i am and i don't know who you are i just know you were here does that make sense and so there's a lot more to this church thing than people understand. It's more than just showing up at a place and just saying, well, yeah, I went. It's, there's, there's something more to it. Okay. Um, the Old Testament sacrifice cannot provide uh, forgiveness, nor did they allow everyone access to God's uh, presence. Let me just go down. Let me read the last sentence, last two sentences. While we can worship God alone, corporate worship is also necessary. God commands us to be a part of a community, encouraging one another in our walk, with God as we worship and serve together. Although God has provided for forgiveness through his son, he is still a holy God who calls us to holiness. Amen. Holiness. Why? He said, if I'm holy, you need to be holy. Amen. But the only way that you can actually be holy is through him and him alone. It's not an action. It's not a work that you're going to figure out and say, oh, I figured it out. I'm holy now. No. That's it. Right there. That's it. And it's the repentance of sin, and it's actually walking in the things that the Bible says to walk in. Um, we're almost done with this lesson, and I think there's one more next week, I think. There's one more. Yeah, we've got one more lesson on sacrifices and offerings. But this has been really, uh, really a good lesson. Please go back and read. Read Exodus. Read Leviticus. Read it. And look at the things that were, were being said and the things that were being done. And then think about where we're at today. We, we've been given a lot, church. Like a lot. Like abundance. So much to the point where we don't even know what to do with it all. God deserves to be reverenced. He deserves to be respected. I hope that's something that you do within your own life is give him the respect and the reverence that he's due. You do that, he'll take you good places. God bless you guys. Thanks.